Well, again, thank you. I'm really glad that you uh, decided to take part in our, our uh, worship celebration this morning. Or if you're online, wherever you are and whenever you join us. Uh, so, just sort of kind of the way of the introduction. I don't know where everybody is and their uh, journey and their spiritual walk, where they are with their relationship with Jesus. Some, some of you I do know. Uh, some of you have been walking with Jesus for a long time. Some of you have been long, walking with Jesus longer than I've been alive, and I'm not going to point any fingers because, well, I've been alive a while. When I was younger, that wasn't quite as big a statement as it is now. Ah, um, I've been walking with Jesus longer than other people have been alive, and that's okay, too. Uh, other people, maybe are still in the process of just trying to figure out who Jesus is. And that's okay. And sometimes, as I present, I'm trying to figure out exactly who should I be talking to this morning. You know, am I addressing the people who have been following Jesus for a long time, or am I following, addressing people who are you know, just getting started, or am I addressing people who are not quite sure yet, or just maybe even haven't even started yet? Who am I addressing? Well, I want you to know that wherever you are on your journey today, I'm talking to you. Um, because wherever you are, you can find yourself in the story that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew recorded the life of Jesus in his own unique way, and he records in Matthew chapter 18 uh, a parable. Uh, the same, it's a parable that's also recorded in Luke chapter 15 that I read just a few moments ago about the lost sheep. This is Matthew's uh, rendition. Uh, his memory of that parable. Jesus says, what do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about the one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. When I read it from Luke, I thought, wow, that's, that raises some questions. And then I read it from Matthew, and I go, well, that didn't clear anything up. That raises more questions. So let's, let's look at this for a moment. There's, this shepherd owns a hundred sheep. Now, that is not a large flock. Uh, it was a, it's a moderate. I mean, this is not a rich shepherd. This is, this is a shepherd who has a hundred sheep. He doesn't have a thousand or two thousand. He doesn't even have two hundred sheep. He just has a hundred sheep. He has a small flock, basically. And one of them wanders off. Sheep do that, I'm told. I don't know. I don't own sheep. I have a dog. And trust me, if my dog gets out of the fence, he's an explorer. 
If I call him, he'll look at me and go, Hi. This is something interesting over here. Catch me if you can. Uh, he does not get out of the fence. The only thing that can, can, can make it possible for me to get it back is if he finds another dog that can't go anywhere. Like another dog that's in a fence and they start running back and forth and I can get and I can get up. Or if my daughter's dog is around and my daughter's dog, he loves to get outside the fence, but he just likes to get out and come back and wait for us to find him. So if my dog Carly gets out with her dog Oso, he just follows Oso. So all we have to do is follow Oso and then Carly. Uh, sheep, sheep, they just go. In fact, ancient, ancient Israel's prophet Isaiah compared all of us as human beings to sheep. He wrote, we are all like sheep who've wandered off and gotten lost. We've all done our own thing, gone our own way. One of the sheep wandered off, Jesus says. And here comes one of the, the lines. The next line, this is one that starts me thinking. It gets me perplexed and starts me wondering. Jesus asked, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? I'm going to read it again just because I think some of us are so used to it, we don't really think about what it says. Will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? The answer seems really obvious to Jesus. The shepherd loses one sheep and he leaves the 99 and goes to look for the one that wandered off. Now, I did a bunch of research. Bible teachers in Jesus' audience might have associated uh, this parable with uh, another ancient Jewish prophet, Ezekiel. Ezekiel wrote uh, when the Jews were exiled into Babylon, uh, what we call Iran now, and he quoted a declaration that God himself made. God declared, I myself will search and find my sheep. I will be like a shepherd looking for his scattered flock. I will find my sheep and rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on that dark and cloudy day. I will bring them back home. I'm pretty sure there were others who started quoting Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. <laughs> Modern Bible scholars and translators wrestle with Jesus saying too, is this his question, won't he just leave the 99 and go find the lost one? They, some say he left the 99 with other shepherds. 
or that he put the sheep in a pen before he went to look for the lost ones. But Jesus didn't say that. In both versions of this parable, in both versions of this story, he just says, he left the 99 on the hills. In Matthew, in Luke, it's even, dare I say, worse. Luke says he lives, leaves him in the wilderness or the desert. I'm going to ask those of you who are present here in the room to raise your hand if you think that's a little harsh for Jesus to say the shepherd just basically abandoned the 99. But I'm struggling with this. I mean, after all, if you only lost one sheep, why would you just up and leave the 99? And I know. Obviously, I'm not the only one who wonders about this because people have been making up all kinds of excuses for this shepherd for the last 2,000 years. Jesus didn't say he left them with other shepherds. Jesus didn't say he put them in a pen. Jesus didn't say he took them home and put them in the sheep barn or the sheep corral, and then went to go look, he said, won't he just leave with the 99 and go find him? The lost one. Will he not leave the 99 on the hills? Won't he leave the 99 in the wilderness to go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? I'm pretty sure, well, not I'm sure, I am certain Jesus chose his words carefully and intentionally. And so, I'm left to ask the question, why did Jesus say the shepherd leaves the 99 to search for the one? I know this much. Following Jesus means that we develop an entirely new perspective. We, we have to learn to look at life and at the world and at God and even at ourselves from a whole new perspective. Following Jesus changes everything, the way we look at everything. So I begin to ask the question in a slightly different way. Why do we struggle? I know I'm not the only one, but why do I struggle with this? And so could it be that it's not what we expect? Could it be that we don't expect the shepherd to leave the 99? And, and more, more than that, could it be that we're more likely, I'm more likely to be part of the 99? than I am to be the lost one. And so I'm wondering, why is the shepherd leaving me to go look for that one?
And then Jesus says, the shepherd celebrates finding the lost sheep. And if he finds it, at least, at least here in Matthew, he's, Jesus points out the possibility he could find, he might not find the sheep. He goes off and he might not. If he finds it, I tell you the truth, he's happier about the one sheep. This now gets, this again, this gets a little perplexing. He is happier about the one sheep that was lost and now found than about the 99 that did not wander off. And in Luke, he takes that once lost, now found sheep home. Not back to the rest of the flock. He takes the lost, once lost, now found sheep home to throw a party. And the sheep was not, by the way, on the menu. We to point that out. And he didn't go home and say, I'll teach you to run away. You know, he didn't do that. In Luke, Luke's version, Jesus says, I tell you that in the same way, just as this shepherd went home and threw a party to celebrate having found his lost sheep, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Matthew, Jesus explains it this way. Jesus says, not only will it, just like the shepherds happier over the one that was lost but now found, than over the 99 that were never lost, it, the same way your Father in heaven, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. Now, I'm not sure exactly how to answer all the questions that I have when I look at this story, but there's one thing that comes out of this that is fairly certain. The lost sheep takes priority over the other sheep. Jesus announces, though, the identity of those lost sheep. It's not the Bible teachers and the deeply committed religious folks. Here in Matthew, he makes it really clear. Your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. In Luke, he's answering their complaints about him hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. So who are these little ones? Let's, let's ask this question. He says, your father, is not, our, your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Who are these little ones? The little ones are those who have the least power and are the most vulnerable. He started this chapter, Matthew started this chapter by talking to the disciples, said, who's the greatest? And Jesus brings a child into and says, let me talk to you about the greatest. Now, children are really valuable in our culture and our society, so it's hard for us to understand this. Part of that reason that is true is because after 2,000 years of Jesus' teachings being around, 
part of our view of the world and children has been flipped. Not completely, but partially at least. You see, in Jesus' day, children were a necessary nuisance. At best, they were to be seen, if, but not heard, and at if at all possible, they should just never be seen. They were useless until they grew up enough that they could work. And then when they could work, they could only do stuff. You know, that's, they, they had no voice and they were never supposed to talk. And they were just, they, they, their only purpose was to get things done and to carry on the family name. And the worst thing that could happen is that they were girls. Sorry, ladies. That was 2,000 years ago in a whole different part of the world. I'm saying the way it should be. I'm saying it's the way it was. And Jesus says, be it like this child. And what is he talking about? He's saying that in God's kingdom, it's not about the strongest, the fastest, the loudest, and the angriest people getting to the front ahead of everybody else. Jesus tosses all of that out of the window as he's teaching them about who the little ones are, and instead he puts this child in front of them, a vulnerable, unsure little person, trusting him, who's ready to listen, ready to be loved, and to love, to learn, and to grow. And he says to them, this little one that you would write off, this is what it means to be great. You need to learn to trust and be ready to listen and be ready to love and to be loved and to learn to grow. Who are these little ones? The little ones and the lost sheep are the notorious sinners and the irreligious people living outside of God's flock. Who are these little ones? They're the ones we don't count because they don't belong to us. They're not like us. They don't look like us. They don't talk like us. They don't, they don't go to church like us. Oh, yes, I just shifted 2,000 years. Preachers do that sometimes. By the way, there are over 50,000 of these little ones that they count. Jesus declares, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. What is Jesus' priority? I'm going to pause for a moment. This is, this is something I've learned recently. Somewhere in the last, I think it was the last hundred years, 
We invented a word. It's the plural of this word. Before, everybody knew you could only have one priority. But somewhere along the line, we suddenly decided we needed priorities. And our lives have been really, really complicated by that. Priority means first place. How many things can be in first place at the same time? If you have priorities, you're lying to yourself. So the question is, not what were Jesus' priorities, but what is Jesus' priority? What's in first place in Jesus' heart and mind? And Jesus' priority is seeking for and finding the lost one. He's looking for the little ones we tend to overlook and ignore. He declared, I came to seek and save the lost. That's why I'm here. Now, my story, many of you know, as many of you know, I was born in a hospital but raised in a church. My parents were pastors. I've been in church unless I was ill. And boy, believe me, when I was growing up, I had to be dying. Or at least convince my parents I was dying to not be in church. Uh, so if the doors were open, I was there. Then it's an interesting twist. God called me to be a pastor. Well, at least I had the habit of showing up, right? So I had listened to church folk all my life. And one of the things I hear people complain about, not complain about, one of the things I hear people mourn is not sensing Jesus' presence like they used to. They, they lament not sensing that Jesus is near as they did in the past. I get it. <coughs> I really do. I've been there, and But I've discovered a key in the last 18 months, two years. I've discovered a key to finding Jesus in our lives, discovering his, how to sense his presence and to know he's with us. You see, I found that the best way to spend time with Jesus is to spend time with the little ones, the lost ones that he's seeking to save. See, everything else that we do deteriorates into empty religious activity when we fail to share Jesus' passion and priority with the little ones. So here's the sermon in a sentence. If you remember nothing else about this parable about the lost sheep, and if you can't remember anything else about the, what I'm struggling with with it, Remember this, 
you will find Jesus when you seek the lost one. During his time on earth, Jesus consistently valued the alienated and the disconnected most. And that's what got him in trouble with the religious folks. He's eating with tax collectors and sinners. He spends time with those people. Why doesn't he spend time with us? How can he be a prophet and not spend time with us? The alienated, those that are lost to the religious life in Jesus' time were profoundly valuable to Jesus. He sought them, he loved them, he healed them, and he confronted every religious person who ever got in their way when they were trying to come to him. Many church members expect their pastor and the congregation to put them first. They may not say it out loud in public, but deep inside they think that the real purpose of the church is to take care of them, to meet their needs, to provide worship celebrations they love, to take care of their families, and to offer programs that they enjoy. But what is Jesus' priority? He said, I came to seek and to save the lost. We need a shift in our mindsets. Some of you have been following Jesus a long time and probably already done this. Good. Some of you who have not started following Jesus are still asking questions or where's the stuff for me? I, let me just tell you this whole thing about you is that you're the one he's looking for right now. You're his priority. You take nothing away from what I've said. Know this. Whether you get this from church people or not, Jesus loves you more than anything else. And you're his number one priority. Finding you is your, his number one priority. Bringing you in home to his father is his number one priority. See, folks, we need to shift our mindsets wherever we are in this process. Our, our thinking shapes our actions. Sometimes a simple adjustment in our, our thinking can have far-reaching uh, repercussions. If we shift the way we look at the world and the church, then everything can change. I mean, some shifts to new ways of thinking are far simpler uh, to make than we realize. Some of them are far easier to talk about than they are to make. Some of them need Jesus because they're so deeply ingrained in us that we need him to change this. I'm going to talk about two that we need to, to work on. Every one of us. 
Okay, I'm going to start because they're confessions from me. And if they don't fit you, the Holy Spirit doesn't say, hey, you need to work on this too, then you can just go, okay, it's not about me. But I know enough people that I know somebody's going to get, get on a bandwagon with me. Some of us need to think, move from thinking about us to thinking about them. Making a church-wide, congregation-wide shift from us to them means choosing to invest our energy, our time, and our resources in serving people who are not yet part of our church family. Instead of asking, why is the shepherd going to look for them, we need to start asking, hey, can we go with you? shift from thinking that program we need to shift from programs to praying now let me explain that real quick lost ones are not found little ones are not brought into the flock by methods no matter how convinced we are that they work they may have worked 50 years ago they may have worked last week they may have worked two weeks years ago it doesn't matter. I don't care how convinced we are that these things work. Programs, methods don't bring people into God's kingdom. Only the Holy Spirit transforms lives. The Holy Spirit moves in response to our prayers. He doesn't have to. The Holy Spirit can do whatever the Holy Spirit pleases, whenever the Holy Spirit pleases. After all, the Holy Spirit is God. But God has chosen to wait for us to ask. A highly inefficient method, in my personal opinion. But once again, he's God. He doesn't care what I think. So often when we want to think, we think, well, if, if, if we just did this, if we just did that, if we got one of these, if we did this, if we did that, if we hired one of these, if we hired one of those, but nope. Not saying that the Holy Spirit won't ask us to do any of that. I'm just saying it doesn't matter what we do. We don't have the Holy Spirit working in us and through us. Remember when Jesus left, what he told his disciples to do? You need to look it up. The address in your Bibles is Acts chapter 1, verse 8. That's the promise. <clears throat> you will receive power and let the Holy Spirit come to you. And before that, he told them to stay in Jerusalem until the receive power. See, wherever you may be on your journey with Jesus, you're going to find Jesus when you seek lost ones. And I'm inviting you to pray for a deeper experience of God's love for you individually, personally, wherever you are on this journey. 
And then also to pray for a deeper love for the people you encounter. So if you've just started looking into Jesus, ask him to let you experience his love. I mean, it's one thing to have a theoretical idea that God loves everybody. It is a completely different thing to experience the fact that God loves me. It is a completely different thing to think that, to go beyond, well, God loves everybody, so apparently he loves me. It is a completely different thing to go, I know. I know he loves me. Because I've felt it. I've experienced it. And I know he loves other people because he's actually helped me love some people that I never thought. I mean, I actually stopped needing to drink coffee every morning because... I've stopped wanting to kill some people. <laughs> now, not everybody has to drink coffee to do that. But you just start looking into Jesus, ask him to let you experience his love for you and others. If you've been committed follower of Jesus for a while, or even for a long time, ask him for a deeper experience of his love for you. for the people you encounter. But I'm going to make it even a little more concrete and personal, particularly for those of you who have been followers of Jesus for a while. I'm going to ask you to pray for me. Pray for me as I'm seeking to build relationships with people outside our congregation who do not know Jesus. <clears throat> Some of you know, perhaps, that I've joined a business organization in our community. If you want to know why, the answer is simple. It is so I can meet people get to know people who don't know Jesus. Everyone in the group knows I'm a pastor and they still talk to me. I've not had anyone run screaming from the room when they find out that I'm a pastor. That's awesome. I've not had anybody argue with me. For 18 months, I've been getting to know these people, and that's great. But I really want them to experience Jesus' love because they're talking to me. And I've been praying for that, and I'm asking you to join me in praying for that. Paul had a similar prayer request to the church in Rome. He asked them, he said, I urge you, brothers and sisters, through our Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, to join fervently with me in prayer to God on my behalf. Pray for me in my work. So I'm asking you to do the same thing. 
pray fervently for me. That God will do in me and through me things that only he can do. I'm going to invite you now to feel free to make this prayer your prayer. I'm going to pray it. You can make it your prayer by going, yes, Lord. Amen. You can change the words in your own heart and mind if that's but join me in this prayer. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, overwhelm my soul with the wonder of your great love for me and for those I encounter each day. Keep my spirit, keep my heart soft, tender, and willing to join you in seeking the little ones who need you. Make me victorious over the scourge. Give me your peace when I am tempted to feel overwhelmed with the problems, pressures, and pains this life produces. keen ear to listen to you Holy Spirit and to follow your promptings keep me soft tender and willing to join you in seeking the little one Holy Spirit, empower me to overcome the temptations targeted at the weak areas of my life. I want the grace that refuses to settle for partial obedience and moral shortcuts. I want to be like Jesus. Word. Jesus, keep me soft, tender, and willing to join you in seeking the lost ones who need you. Those of you who are online, I want to thank you for joining us.
you have not already done so, I want to invite you to join the Champions of Hope group, uh, Facebook group, uh, using the link in the description. Uh, you'll receive some unique content and opportunities, opportunities to uh, connect with others who are infusing people with the hope of Jesus. We live as followers of Jesus. Just as God sent Jesus, Jesus sends us to seek the little ones around us. And this is my prayer for you as you go to live as ones sent by God. May God, who puts all things together, who makes all things whole, who made a lasting mark through the sacrifice of Jesus, the sacrifice that sealed the eternal covenant, who led Jesus, our great shepherd, up and alive from the dead. Now, may God, who add to these great works and put you together, provide you with everything you need to please our King. Holy Spirit, Make us into what gives King Jesus the most pleasure. All glory to Jesus forever and always. Amen. Friends, you're sent. Go. In Jesus' name.